We are now live. Three, two, one. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On tonight's show, I have a very special guest. He's a returning guest. We talked back on June 14th, 2019 about his excellent true crime book titled Angel of Darkness, the true story of Randy Kraft and the most heinous murder spree. And that was kind of during my researches into the smiley face killing phenomenon. I highly recommend the book. A lot of true crime people do not know about this serial killer, Randy Kraft, but uh, provided some incredible insights into that kind of uh, that section of that kind of true crime environment. So I really enjoyed that. But we're going to talk tonight about a book that he just published in October. The title of that book, which you can see on the screen if you're uh, watching this on YouTube, the title of the book is Operation White Rabbit, LSD, the DEA, and the Fate of the Acid King by Dennis McDougall, published in 2020. And uh, it was a fascinating book. I read the entirety of the book. It uh, provided me with uh, many insights into that underground drug culture, and also about somebody whose name I wasn't familiar with. So he's going to talk more about that. Mr. McDougall, are you there? I am indeed. Um, awesome. Great to be here. Great. Well, thanks for agreeing to the interview. And we just decided to go live stream on short notice. So uh, uh, Dennis was game for it. So here we are. We will take questions after the interview. But for people who aren't familiar with you and your many books, I think it's like 13 books uh, at last um, let me see if I can go back here. There's the list of his books. Angel of Darkness is there. Mother's Day. Last Mogul, Lou Wasserman, MCA, and the Hidden History of Hollywood. The Yosemite Murders. Um, so a bunch of very interesting titles. This is the most recent title. But for people, like I said, who know your name, can you talk a little bit about your background and also what led you to uh, your inquiry in this book on the subject of Operation White Rabbit? Uh, sure. I'm a, um, a lifelong um, a recovering journalist. Um, I, I got my, uh, I cut my teeth, I guess, uh, many, many uh, decades ago um, at various Southern California newspapers, uh, the River, Riverside Press Enterprise, uh, Long Beach uh, Press Telegram, and then uh, finally, I spent a 15-year hitch with the L.A. Times in the 80s and 90s. And um, I've written for uh, the New York Times over the years and TV Guide for quite a while. Uh, and uh, eventually segued into writing books. My first title was um, Angel of Darkness, which was, uh, Mr. Ramsey just got finished uh, telling you. Uh, was uh, the story of Randy Kraft, um, a little-known serial killer, at least in terms of um, you know, the, the pantheon of uh, uh, Ted Bundy and uh, Dahmer and the like, uh, but nonetheless uh, very prolific, um, and you know, for like 13 years until he was discovered by a couple of California highway patrolmen with a dead Marine in his passenger seat. Uh, he did in somewhere between uh, 67 and 92 young men uh, who were hitchhiking and uh, made the mistake of riding with Randy. And uh, that became the basis of my first book, uh, Angel of Darkness. Um, I've written, I guess it is 13. I hadn't, hadn't counted them up, but I've written 13 books. I'm working on a 14th at the moment. Uh, this latest one, um, Operation White Rabbit, uh, the de genesis for it um, goes back to 
2006, uh, I had a, a writing partner at the time, um, Linda Marsa, who's still out playing her craft to this day. Uh, and um, uh, Linda had um, a, a much um, broader and deeper uh, background in psychedelics and um, uh, the scientific or, or medical aspects of uh, psychedelics and LSD than I did. And um, she called me up one day and said, you know, Dr. Albert Hoffman is celebrating his 100th birthday in uh, Basel, Switzerland next month. Uh, we ought to go there and, and interview him. Um, for those who are among the uninitiated, don't know who Albert Hoffman was, uh, he was a Swiss chemist, biochemist, who worked for uh, Sandoz uh, Pharmaceuticals, is now uh, known as uh, Novartis. Um, and he's best known uh, as the man who discovered LSD. Uh, he um, stumbled upon it uh, way back in 1939 and uh, um, didn't really pay much attention to the uh, weird side effects of it because he was looking for uh, a drug for uh, Sandoz that would uh, help uh, women with their postpartum blues and their uh, um, their um, possible hemorrhaging uh, after uh, giving birth. So he set the chemical aside and uh, one day in 1943, he accidentally uh, dosed himself with just a tiny bit of this stuff and uh, his whole world began to collapse. Um, so he waited a, a week and prepared himself and then um, tried it not by accident, but on purpose. Um, one Thursday in April of 1943, uh, took it just before he knocked off work, hopped on his bicycle and rode home. And he later described that um, first trip on LSD in phantasmagoric terms. Um, the sky went wavy, everything became iridescent and day glow, and uh, he could he could hear colors and um, and he could see sounds. Uh, his his uh, uh, had a little music coming in there from the side. I'm like going, well, maybe I dosed a little bit of it too. I'm not sure. No. But at any rate, um, and it's kind of like a legendary moment in the history of psychedelics was Hoffman, his bike ride. Right. Still the day is still celebrated of what, April 19th or whatever. Yes. Where this, this one little event kind of spread all throughout the world. Yeah, it's Bicycle Day, and it's still observed on an annual basis by uh, uh, psychonauts all over the world. 
At any rate, uh, Hoffman was turning 100 um, years old, and um, and as a, a direct result of um, uh, of this event, uh, my writing partner suggested that we hop on the next plane to Switzerland and uh, try to get an interview with him. Uh, we did. Um, we sold a, a Q&A to Playboy magazine back when it was still a magazine. And, um, and, then, and then we spent the weekend in uh, Basel at this celebration. And the first thing that we um, picked up on when we got there was that um, virtually everybody who was anybody in the psychedelic movement was there. Uh, to you know, pay their respects to Hoffman. So we immediately um, hired a Swiss camera crew, uh, which consisted of a sound man and a, a guy with a Sony recorder, uh, video recorder, and um, spent the next uh, two and a half days interviewing anything and everyone that moved because we figured that this was a golden opportunity to try to get these people uh, on camera, uh, many, many of them quite old uh, at the time, uh, because you know they weren't going to live forever, and we thought that this might be an opportunity to uh, document uh, the cultural history of, uh, of LSD. Um, we acquired about 25 hours of um, uh, videotaped interviews at, at the uh, celebration. And when we got back to uh, California, um, we expanded on it and started interviewing people who didn't show up uh, at, the, um, uh, at the celebration. Uh, people like uh, Aldous Huxley's uh, widow, Laura Huxley, um, and um, Abram Hoffer, who was uh, Humphrey Osmond's uh, uh, research partner in Canada, uh, a, a number of people who have since passed on, um, because what we had in mind was uh, attempting to do a definitive documentary of uh, the history of uh, psychedelics and um, how they fell out of favor, uh, courtesy of Richard Nixon and uh, uh, the whole war on drugs, drugs movement. Uh, and then, uh, you know, slowly and surely began to make a comeback with the turn of the 21st century. So in the course of all of this, and you see how this goes on and on. Uh, but uh, in order to get to the central quest question of how um, my book Operation White, White Rabbit came into being, um, in the course of all of these uh, interviews, we kept coming across the name uh, of uh, an LSD martyr, if you will. Uh, the name was William Leonard Picard. Um, a fellow who was busted in a um, um, an abandoned Atlas missile silo uh, outside of Wamigo, Kansas, 
um, and charged with uh, manufacturing uh, a million or more doses of LSD uh, to be distributed um, in some sort of a worldwide network of um, uh, acid distribu- distribution. Um, so I, I, I kept hearing the name, and I tracked him down on the Internet. He was doing uh, two life sentences plus 20 years. I don't know why somebody tacked on 20 years. The big joke was that he was a Buddhist, and thus uh, the 20 years would account for his uh, uh, life after death. But um, Picard was, um, at the time, cooling his heels uh, at the uh, U.S. penitentiary in, um, in Tucson, or just outside of Tucson. Um, so I started writing him letters, and um, he responded. Um, he was terse and guarded at first. But then uh, later on, uh, we started exchanging phone calls when he could get to a phone. Um, And then um, uh, ultimately, uh, even the uh, U.S. Bureau of Prisons uh, has come um, fighting and screaming and into the 21st century and uh, decided that they needed to allow um, their inmates uh, access to email. So um, we were able to um, um, communicate via uh, an email setup that the the, uh, Bureau of Prisons still has in place called CoreLinks. What year was this around, Dennis? Sorry to interrupt. This is around, was this... When did you start uh, communicating with Pickard? Oh, okay. Um, I guess 2007 or 2008. Right around around the time that Obama was elected. Gotcha. Uh, So this has been, I mean, for 2020, you've been in communication with Pickard for some time before the publication of this book. Oh, yeah. And in fact, I mean, it goes... um, goes a lot deeper than that in, in, in a number of ways because, uh, you know, initially I approached him as a journalist, uh, you know, uh, approaching the subject. And, um, and, and, you know, I tried to get him to cooperate and he was reluctant and he gave me his reasons why. And we found common ground in uh, our love of writing and reading and literature. Uh, I encouraged him to begin writing and uh, the result of uh, all of that was that he uh, enrolled in a, a prison writing uh, program uh, overseen by a professor at the University of Arizona. Uh, and um, he became the star pupil and cranked out his own memoir, um, The Rose of Paracelsus, which he self-published um, it's like 650 pages long. I, uh, I, in one way, I recommend it because it's uh, uh, it's colorful and um, gives you a, a uh, firsthand look at uh, his thinking about 
uh, psychedelics in general and uh, spirituality and how it all connects. Uh, on the other hand, it's a daunting read. You know, anybody who's been challenged by, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, James Joyce or Infinite Jest um, and found it uh, um, hard sailing probably should stay away. But if you, uh, you know, if you're really dedicated, uh, it's quite revealing uh, and, um, um, you know, uh, beautifully, there are beautifully written passages uh, in in uh, in the book. But at any rate, he self-published, and it became um, kind of a, a cult classic among uh, psychonauts. Uh, psychonauts being the uh, d- the general term um, that is applied to people who. Uh, have a predilection for psychedelics, whether it be LSD or uh, psilocybin mushrooms or mescaline, TMT, MDMA. So he's got everything on that. And it's interesting, Aristotle was one of the first alchemists. So it's a theme within your book, but also in the sensibility of these people around, Picard and people around him, is that they were kind of tinkering around with, or Shulgin, it kind of felt to me like modern-day alchemists. Oh, yeah, I don't think there's any question of it. I mean, that's um, that's what they did. These are people who bucked the system, even when uh, you know Nixon, for what now appears to be purely political reasons, um, uh, cracked down on psychedelics, made them... Um, uh, made them uh, equitable with uh, cocaine and heroin, uh, which is totally bogus, um, and uh, tried to criminalize um, the use so that people would be discouraged from uh, even even trying it um, for fear of being sent away the way that Leonard was. Uh, and I mean, maybe this is a difficult question, but who was, Le- I mean, he's a very complex, multifaceted character. Who mm-hmm. was Picard and how did he make his way into the psychedelic world or underground? Well, I mean, that's really the basis of the book because in, in many respects, I probably should just, you know, uh, have titled it, uh, you know, the the biography of, of uh, Leonard Picard because it, it really uh, is built around his life story. Uh, Picard was a, um, was, I don't know, something of a um, a science prodigy um, who came out of the suburbs of Atlanta in uh, the early 60s and uh, was uh, brilliant. Um, I mean, even his classmates to this day um, will usually start off their descriptions of uh, of Lenny Picard as being um, one of the smartest, if not the smartest persons that they've ever encountered. But um, as is often the case with genius, um, he had a a downside or a dark side or whatever you want to call it. And um, uh, at the same time that he was graduating with honors from his high school and winning a full ride to Princeton University, um, 
he was also uh, out experimenting um, and uh, with not not at this point with LSD, but with other drugs and and with alcohol and and the like. And um, he uh, stole a car, uh, drove it across state lines, and uh, wound up um, in front of a judge um, who saw to it that um, he was sent away for a while. Uh, and he, um, you know, he, he spent uh, many months uh, in a, an infamous uh, rehab in Connecticut uh, where he was uh, summarily diagnosed as a narcissist by uh, the attending psychologist or psychiatric um, examiner, and um, and you know he he never really was able to pull himself out of that um, uh, that initial run in uh, with the law. Uh, he he was bent on exploring biochemistry and neurology. And uh, even with the um, uh, uh, even with the onslaught of uh, of um, Washington and, um, and the entire establishment, I guess, against psychedelics in the late 1960s, with the jailing of uh, Timothy Leary and uh, Alice Lee Stanley. Uh, Leonard was um, not persuaded to stay away from it. He um, he wanted to continue to try to uh, explore chemistry and uh, its effects on uh, on the human psyche and uh, its its connection with um, perhaps a a higher spiritual being. Uh, he was caught up in all of the spiritualism that uh, Ram Das and Leary and the people who came out of the psychedelic experiences of the late sixties. You know, uh, they may have um, been scared into passing it up or leaving it be, so that they didn't wind up spending more time in prison. But Leonard was not dissuaded. Um, and it takes, I mean, it takes a certain type of intelligence to actually make these drugs. So it, it, the way the book, you in the book, you, it's a very kind of tight-knit or small community of people mm-hmm. who are aware of each other. And uh, that was one of the interesting aspects of the, the book. Yeah, I mean, uh, during this period, <clears throat> the cutoff point was like 1970 because you know what you had going on on the outside was uh, LSD was first outlawed, in um, but then it was criminalized essentially in 1970, uh, courtesy of uh, the uh, Nixon White House and John Mitchell's uh, Justice Department. Uh, they came up with the. the 
draconian drug laws that we're still living with to this day, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, Tim Leary became um, the most wanted man in the world. God knows why, other than the fact that he had a big mouth and he liked to uh, drop acid now and then. Uh, But, you know, it was um, classic Nixonian um, politicking. You know, don't look at what uh, my left hand is doing. Uh, Just watch the right hand here, here where I'm saving your children from LSD and, and this terrible Leary character. Uh, so, you know, LSD yeah. became uh, as vilified as uh, the people who uh, promoted it. I mean, and the, the whole idea that it could have, uh, you know, really salutary positive effects all uh, was swept under the rug. And, um, abject fear took uh, hold among the populace because the, the media latched onto it and they're still doing it to this day. Right. Saying the LSD will, you know, make you walk into traffic or jump off of a building or uh, God knows what all. The famous case of Art Linkletter's daughter uh, flying out of a uh, building and that really kind of changed people's ideas. I think he talked about it on Johnny Carson, if I remember correctly. Well, all of that is true, uh, but if you uh, dissect the case and you take a hard look at it, uh, A, they were never able to establish that she had uh, LSD in her system or anywhere near her when she jumped out of the building. B, she had a history of, uh, of um, bipolar tendencies, uh, if not out-and-out um, psychosis, uh, and C, um, you know, there was never any evidence that uh, she had ever even dropped LSD. And that was Art Linkletter uh, speaking in his uh, wacky, reactionary, um, uh, Sean Hannity voice uh, screaming and yelling on the airwaves about how his daughter died because uh, of Tim Leary. And uh, it was probably... Probably ninety nine point nine percent bullshit. So anyway, uh, that's but Picard. Like he knew. I mean, he thought of himself as the kind of offering of Leary or somebody carrying on the torch from Leary. But he was mixing. He was just so well connected and always kind of uh, orbiting all of these institutions and sitting in on lectures and things like that. So he's getting all new Carrie Mullis all these other kind of famous figures, Shulgin. Mm-hmm. So he was definitely networked. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, Picard was, um, you know, he, his background, I mean, if you go back to the earliest uh, years with him, uh, his father was uh, an attorney, a corporate uh, attorney in, in Atlanta. Uh, they were well-heeled. Uh, his stepmother was a um, uh, leading um um, scientist, uh, fungal uh, um, biochemist in her own right at the fledging, fledgling CDC in Atlanta. And he was, wet, he was raised, uh, you know, to um, pay close attention to science in general, but 
uh, more specifically to uh, uh, take a hard look at uh, uh, at um, biochemistry and, and how uh, the mind interrelates with the body and with physical uh, physiology, how physiology and neurology are in, in inextricably intertwined. And, um, uh, you know, with that kind of a background, uh, it pretty much um, established a vector for his career for the rest of his life. I mean, it's... Uh, uh, ultimately, uh, what sadly landed him in prison because he would not give it up, uh, and I, you know, I get that because I, I, at this late date in my life, uh, ever since I got involved in this, uh, looking at uh, uh, looking at it seriously after uh, uh, Doctor Hoffman's birthday, um, I get it. I mean, it's incredibly and intensely fascinating uh, and and may um, ultimately be uh, the salvation of mankind I don't know I mean but the connection you know between um, uh, biochemistry and these substances like LSD or mescaline or uh, DMT um, and um, and human behavior uh, are it seemed to me they're they're vital. I mean, this is these are connections that we ought to have been exploring for uh, the past half century, but you know we haven't been able to do that thanks to politics. Right, they kind yeah. of have been. There's been independent underground explorers, right? Shogun yeah. and some of these other people, the Brotherhood of Eternal Love. So you had all these characters. Yeah, but um, they're they're all seen, or they were all seen for a long time by the establishment as being either criminal or close to criminal. So you know, it's it's hard to practice your science when you're looking over your shoulder and hoping that the DEA doesn't break through the door and. Uh, and send you to prison for the rest of your life, and which is essentially what happened to Picard. Right. I mean, they kind of were on his trail for a while, but he kind of grew up with like Owsley, Hubbard. There's other characters too who are kind of spreading the kind of, uh, I wouldn't just call it LSD. I would just call it designer drug maybe because it wasn't just LSD, but they were spreading it around. Can you talk? I mean, and, and Picard is watching these developments. Can you talk about the Brotherhood of Eternal Love and what happened to some of those guys and how they were important to Picard? Well, yeah, I mean, I can talk about it and maybe I can try to put it into some sort of perspective because the mythology that evolves uh, around something like the, the, the Brotherhood and the reality are two different things. I mean, uh, all these people who were um, featured in the uh, famous or infamous uh, wanted poster that was uh, put out by the uh, California uh, Department of Justice. It was like, I don't know, a couple dozen faces on this single wanted poster, the Brotherhood of Eternal Love. and and um, you, know, you have that in your book, right? Yeah, it's in the book. But, the, the you know, the stories that have um, come out of there 
come out of the, the brotherhood um, would lead people to believe that uh, there was some sort of this um, some sort of underground conspiracy um, which again is bullshit um, you know these people number one uh, are not conspirators because they they're generally loners. Uh, they're people like Tim Scully, uh, who would just rather that people leave him the hell alone. He just wants to, um, he would like to practice his science without people looking over his shoulder and uh, telling him that he's doing this or that or something else wrong. And this is like true of, of most of these people. Um, there's no grand ex conspiracy. Uh, the Brotherhood, you know, the the thumbnail sketch version of the Brotherhood is that uh, they became the distri distribution arm of um, Owsley Stanley's um, uh, Orange Orange Sunshine, most famously, but. You know all of the LSD that he manufactured in the uh, the uh, mid to late sixties uh, eventually began to be uh, uh, distributed by the uh, the Brotherhood. Most of these guys were uh, not chemists; they weren't per particularly uh, uh, even erudite necessarily. They were surfers. I mean, these were guys who were. It's Laguna Beach, right? Well, yeah, we're, we're part of the surf scene down in Laguna Beach in Orange County, and um, and this was a, an easy way to make uh, um, um, a lot of money, or at least uh, pretty good coin, um, with uh, a little effort. Uh, it was shady business. Uh, to, truth be told, the the bulk of their uh, trade was in hashish, not LSD. Um, that was almost a, a sideline. Uh, they were into uh, marijuana, hashish, uh, hashish oil, uh, and they became uh, famous, notorious, whatever. Uh, because uh, they came up with uh, uh, ingenious ways to smuggle the stuff in and out of uh, uh, Turkey and points east. Um, and right. uh, Well, I, the reason I kind of brought him up is Picard was in the, the proceedings, right? So it's uh, Hitchcock, Mellon Hitchcock, who comes from Melbrook, Millbrook with Leary, then goes to the West Coast, Brotherhood of Eternal Love, and Picard's kind of observing and drinking in this whole situation. Yeah, I mean, Picard um, maintained then and still to this day, I believe, um, I haven't talked to him for a, a week or two, so I don't, I mean, you know, he, but <laughs> so I can't imagine that his opinion has changed in the last 10 days. Um, but, you know, Picard um, maintained that he was never uh, a member of the the Brotherhood of Eternal Love. Uh, he knew a lot of its members, but uh, you got to remember, um, Picard was a uh, he, he was a, a kind of a loner. I mean, he was not. He had his uh, he had his network, 
like we all do. Uh, but uh, he wasn't part of any kind of cabal that was uh, interested in, uh, you know, storming the uh, the establishment and dosing everybody with LSD. That was never part of his game plan. He was interested in perfecting the uh, the chemistry, uh, and he was a uh, uh, probably the most notable uh, student of uh, Alexander uh, Shulgin. Um, so, I mean, but he, I mean, he's kind of observing all of that stuff, Picard is, and kind of, and he, he always says that he wants to be low-key, unflashy. How does his kind of operation of creating LSD and other, you know, new drugs, how does that evolve? Mm. Okay, well, he gets kicked out of Princeton in the 60s, okay? And in a way, uh, the next 30 years for Leonard Picard uh, is an attempt, a running attempt to get back into the scientific brotherhood uh, that um, marked his beginnings. When he graduated from high school, he felt as though he had been uh, admitted into the scientific uh, um, brotherhood exemplified by um, Albert Einstein himself. In fact, the first place that he visited uh, when he went to Princeton was uh, Einstein's house. Went up and knocked on the front door. Um, So when he got bounced because he stole a car, um, the trajectory for him was kind of uh, set in stone for the next 30 years. Uh, Partially through his own personal choices, uh, because he envisioned himself as something of a a rogue and a vagabond. Uh, He, uh, you know, he, he traveled around, he had his micro bus and, uh, was very much a uh, a stereotype in that uh, sense uh, of the the quasi hippie who's uh, always on the road in the sixties and seventies. And you know, he visited communes and he hung out with um, loose women and became a loose man. Um, but the whole time. He was also um, very much interested in pursuing science, and more specifically, biochemistry. So everywhere that he went uh, and stayed for any period of time, he found himself um, enrolling or, um, at at the very least, sitting in on uh, classes having to do with uh, neurobiology. He was 
uh, he, he was the guy, the scholar on the outside. He was always the guy uh, with his, his nose up against the window uh, watching the, the latest uh, evolution uh, of um, chemistry. And, uh, and, and he wanted desperately in, in some ways to be readmitted into that fraternity. Uh, and he, I mean, he had spot jobs. He was a lab assistant at Berkeley. He audited yeah. classes at, at Stanford. He's in Woodside. So he's kind of in that kind of group. People that he know are the Grateful Dead and the Warlocks. And these mm -hmm. kind of characters are all kind of um, definitely in Northern California. Shulgin lives south of Berkeley. I think he's yeah. in Orinda or something like that or close to mm -hmm. Um So, I mean, he kind of developed, but uh, I mean, uh, he definitely was making significant amounts of LSD for distribution. There was only a certain amount of people who were able to do it. Would you agree with that? I would, I would agree with it. I think for a while he was more enamored of uh, MDA and MDMA uh, than he was um, LSD. But that was only because uh, Shulgin had discovered it and uh, Stan, Stan Groff, another uh, light in the LSD movement uh, had decided that uh, MDMA or ecstasy was a um, a psychotropic uh, drug that could could help enhance uh, people's um, thinking and tendencies uh, towards spiritual spirituality. Um, but you know, yeah, he was like he was constantly uh, looking for better and better ways to uh, not just manufacture LSD, but to uh, develop the very best of uh, Shulgin's uh, um, recipes too. Uh, he he was definitely. I mean, there's no question about that. If you want a a norm, a standard for who uh, Leonard Picard was. Uh, he was a, um, you know, he was a believer, uh, a true believer in uh, um, um, better living through chemistry, and um, and he he also had kind of a spiritual element to him. He was also a Buddhist practicing Zen Buddhist who. Uh, progressed up that path. He was definitely involved in Esalen, aware of that kind of environment. Mm -hmm. So I think mm -hmm. he's firmly rooted in that. Uh, I mean, I think if you juxtapose him with kind of like his nemesis, Skinner, one is really interested in pushing those boundaries of experience, and Skinner's just in it for the money and uh, the benefits of having all that money, I guess. Yeah, again, you go back to the beginnings, uh, which is what I... I tend to do. I, I'm something of, of a Freudian when it comes to um, human behavior. I, I'm a strong believer in, in roots and, and um, mothers and fathers and, and you know, uh, where you come from kind of defines where you're going. Um, if you look at uh, the rudimentary beginnings of, of Picard and you, you know, put that up against um, a character like uh, uh, Gordon Todd Skinner, you're going to uh, find, um, I don't know, the, um, the alpha and omega, uh, the, the 
um, uh, the positive and uh, and negative sides of the same coin in many respects, I guess. Uh, Skinner was um, Skinner was psychochemistry um, with all of the trappings that the DEA uh, warns you uh, warns against. I mean, he's he is the personification of um, of um, you know some Vincent Price character who uh, gets a hold of uh, an evil potion and uh, passes it around purely for uh, purposes of uh, greed and uh, and um, a personal gratification. And I don't believe that that was true of Leonard. I mean, I don't think that uh, Picard then or now uh, was interested in uh, getting off, if you will. I mean, one of the things that, you know, just niggles the hell out of me is uh, even my good friends, uh, and I, I have like, I can think of two or three right off the top of my head, uh, who ought to know better, but they say things like, oh, does your book come with uh, acid tabs, or am I going to be able to uh, go to the, uh, the picture insert in the middle and, uh, and find something so that I can drop acid myself? Uh, well, uh, first of all, the answer is no and no. Uh, and secondly, um, that's exactly the kind of um, horseshit thinking that powers uh, a bogus agency like the Drug Enforcement Administration, which should never have been created in the first place. The FBI was doing just fine without them. They're a self-perpetuating uh, agency that uh, is designed to um, keep people from experimenting with drugs because that's going to kill them and somebody needs a, uh, a papa and mama to oversee what they put into their own bodies, unless it happens to be alcohol or tobacco, which will kill you. Um, I don't know. I mean, point. <laughs> I mean, the deaths from alcohol and tobacco are probably mm -hmm. ten thousand times more than any psychedelics. No kidding. Yeah. No kidding. At least. Um, I mean, it's the the story is a great. It covers that great arc all the way up till he's arrested. And you have a picture with Picard, so you know him fairly well. He was uh, released in your postscript. He was released this year uh, mm -hmm. from jail. So. He yeah. <laughs> Yes, I, nobody ever uh, figured that was going to happen. That was that came to everyone, including Leonard. <clears throat> that came even came to Leonard as, as a shock. I emailed him on a Thursday <clears throat> in July, uh, as I tended to do uh, pretty regularly to see how he was doing and see whether or not he was locked away because of COVID. He and his uh, uh, cellmate uh, hadn't seen anybody since March, so I was checking in with him to see if he needed any books or uh, whatever. 
And, you know, he was telling me in, in his email, uh, well, you know, I'm getting along. It's uh, not pleasant, but at least we have email back now. I hadn't been able to communi- communicate with anyone for months, so that's a, a blessing. That was on a Thursday. The following day, uh, he was released. Um, he'd been applying for these um, compassionate uh uh, releases for months beforehand. I knew all about that, but uh, even he was uh, gobsmacked by it. He de- had no idea. He had to figure out in 24 hours' time where the hell he was going, how he was going to get there, uh, and um, how he was going to communicate with uh, his uh, network of well-wishers uh, as to where he was going to land. He had no idea. Well, uh, where was he last? How, wasn't he? What penitentiary was he in? Tucson. Tucson, gotcha. So yeah. he stayed. He kind of was around that area before his arrest. He was in Kansas, uh, Arizona, kind of that area as well. So, um, yeah, it's a great book. I really enjoyed reading. I highly recommend it to my listeners. Where can people find the book? Is, do you have a website, or is Amazon the best place, or what do you recommend? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, Amazon's the best place for everything, it seems like. I mean, if, if you need a uh, toothpicks or uh, dog treats or Operation White Rabbit, go to Amazon. And do you have a few minutes to take a couple questions from uh, the watchers, viewers? Sure, what the hell? Why not? Okay. Here's the first one. Ask Dennis's opinion of the recent Oregon drug legalization. Do you have any thoughts on that? I think it's a long time coming. Um, I'm happy that uh, uh, that the uh, voters of Oregon uh, have more common sense than uh, members of Congress uh, or the uh, uh, dumbass uh, uh, Drug Enforcement Administration, which should be wiped off the map tomorrow um, or yesterday, actually. Um, and um, I'm, I'm happy that uh, uh, adults, at least in one of the 50 states, are being treated as adults who can actually figure out uh, what a substance, substance might do to them if they took it um, and not have to <clears throat> answer to the federal government or fear uh, a break-in from cops uh, taking them down for the the crime of putting something into their mouth and uh, swallowing it. Gotcha. I mean, I remember there was a documentary about the legalization of all drugs. I think it was in uh, the Netherlands or somewhere, and they did the statistical things. And even with legalization, they found that drug usage didn't change. I, I got to find that study. It's really amazing. But they just it, the legalization didn't start some tsunami of users automatically using drugs so here's another one uh, for you dennis do you use an old school this is a kind of author question do you use an old school typewriter what time of day do you find productive early morning late late night <laughs> that's coming from black tooth fox yes. all right black tooth uh 
Well, I used to uh, use an old Underwood for many, many years, but um, I got, um, you know, uh, switched over courtesy of uh, the Los Angeles Times. I, I got uh, switched over to um, PCs in the 90s and then uh, took a further step into uh, Appledom uh, in the 21st century. So now I use a, a laptop most of the time. Um, um, what time of day do I find most produ productive? Uh, hands down, the morning. Um, it may be, be just a function of age, as you can tell by my uh, face and uh, lack of hair. I'm an altar cocker of many years, so um, I, I need a good night's rest. Uh, when I wake up, uh, you know, after I... Uh, let the dog out and uh, have a couple of tankers of uh, caffeine. I'm ready to roll. Now I can usually get, um, I don't know, two, maybe three hours of really good writing time in between um, six, seven in the morning and around 10 or 11, at which time I head out to the dog park. Um, I don't. I'm not a late night late night uh, writer anymore. I used to be uh, 20 years ago, but um, by the end of the the day, I'm ready for um, you know a, a good a documentary series on Netflix. That's about it. Um, he does mention Skinner in the book. Skinner is an important part later on in the book, so he definitely goes into a lot more detail about the silo and things like that. You just didn't have the time to cover it. There's a lot more information in the book than anything we've covered in this hour. Um, this is the question. Leonard was present during the torture of Brandon Greed. That's when he went to jail for the I don't think so. According to the, to Dennis's material, that's not the case. But do you mind answering that? Was Leonard there when Brandon Green was tortured? No, no. I mean, uh, Leonard was found guilty in uh, 2003, I believe. And he was, you know... Once he was taken into into custody in uh, November of 2000, uh, he never stepped outside of prison again until uh, until he was released this past July. Right. So, no, the Brandon Green episode was uh, solely a uh, Gordon Todd Skinner production. Uh, that happened... When the hell was that? I think that was 2004 or 2005. Anyway, um, that that all happened uh, in Oklahoma, uh, courtesy of um, of uh, Skinner and um, uh, Crystal Cole, and um, uh, there was one other principal who came forward and was the uh, the, the primary. Um, Source for the uh, the feds or not the feds, the state uh, uh, officials who took him down. Sorry. So uh, no, the, the yeah. answer is no. And do you have, what do you see as the future of synthetic drugs? Do you have a comment on that? Well, I see them as inevitable. Um, on the other hand as with plastics and other synthetics, 
I'm suspicious. Um, My natural tendency would be to, uh, if you are interested in drugs, uh, that the more natural uh, they are, the better. Uh, that's not to say that uh, Anne and Sasha Shulgin <clears throat> uh, were not pioneers in this area and uh, didn't, um, you know, do some great work in terms of trying to figure out the uh, the effects, neurological, psychological effects of synthetics uh, on human behavior. But I don't, I, I, I just, if you're going to dabble in this stuff, I would look, uh, I personally, I mean, everybody's, you know, Oregon, if, if Oregon hasn't taught us anything else, it's that um, you know, it has definitely taught us that we are all adults if we're over 21, uh, and unless we have some sort of, um, uh, addled brain that can be proven, uh, the decision on what we should take should be left up to us, not to some government official. Um, if you are of that mind, if you want to try something, uh, I would try something natural, not something that uh, has been invented in a test tube. That might lead to the next question, which is what's your opinion of psilocybin for psychiatric therapy use? I think I think that psilocybin has been proven hands down uh, by people like Charlie Grobe uh, and the uh, uh, the the team of uh, uh, scientists at uh, John uh, Johns uh, Hopkins. I can never pronounce that because it's like a double double John Hopkins. Uh, and NYU, I think that his, it's been, I, I, I think you'd have to be a fool to think that, um, that you didn't, uh, get, uh, a positive, uh, result from, uh, a controlled, uh, dosage of psilocybin. Uh, it helped, it's been used, um, in end of, end of life, um, therapy, which I'm more familiar with than, than the other stuff, but uh, it's also been shown to uh, help people quit smoking. Uh, it um, uh, it has been used successfully in uh, treating alcoholism. Um, it's been used uh, in uh, PD, um, pro- post-traumatic uh, stress PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, and um, uh, and most notably, um, uh, it's been used in a pretty big clinical study at Johns Hopkins uh, in connecting people uh, with their uh, fundamental spirituality. Uh, it's you know that's been. That may be the most astounding uh, effect that uh, we've seen thus far. Um, uh, there's another question from uh, Burning Man. Look into Skinner's connections to Burning Man. I know you mentioned him in the book. He was arrested at Burning Man. Do you know anything else about Skinner and his connections or Picard to Burning Man? 
um, well, you know, I know, I, I feel like uh, even though Skinner has uh, spurned me, I have made several attempts to uh, to interview him, to reach him. Um, he always defers to uh, another writer he has uh, uh, working with him on his version of, of things. So he's never spoken to me uh, directly. But having reviewed um, literally thousands of um, pages of his uh, courtroom testimony uh, and uh, the DEA's files on him, the Operation White Rabbit files on him, uh, and um, and you know interviewed in depth several people uh, who've known him and were um, uh, were part and parcel of um, of the whole uh, silo uh, buildup. Uh, I, I feel like I have a pretty guy, a good idea of of um, who he is, how he operates. Uh, I think he is a uh, a garden variety uh, narcissist and sociopath. Um, how he got to be that way is uh, up for gra- grabs, but I <clears throat> I don't think you have to look too much further than his mother. Um, I think that he's. Uh, a monster, um, and uh, I think that the uh, DEA uh, made a bad bet when they decided to go with him uh, as their uh, chief witness against Picard, uh, because I think that uh, I think that uh, Skinner was, is, and will continue to be. Um, a criminal. That is his bent. That is who he is. And uh, and those people at the DEA who decided that he was going to be their star witness uh, turned out to be fools. Gotcha. And is there anything else that you'd like to mention before we wrap this up? Anything I missed? Anything just to put the bookend on this? Um. Well, um, you know, this book was all about surprises almost from the the very beginning. I, uh, I, it took a long time to, um, to sell. Uh, I mean, it was a lot harder getting it into, uh, into print than, uh, than it was, um, uh, researching. I mean, once, uh, uh, once I was able to um, speak one on one with uh, Picard and uh, get him to uh, tell me where he was coming from and what his uh, what his MO was, um, that that all came relatively easily. But um, this the thing about uh, Operation White Rabbit that I suppose is the the most surprising is that <laughs> there is no way of planning it <laughs> is, you know, like literally weeks before it saw the light of day. Um, and God knows uh, what role it may have played in it. 
uh, Leonard maintains that it, it had some sort of a role at any rate. Um, a, 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 je- a federal judge finally came to his senses and said, come on, two life sentences plus 20 years for making LSD when there isn't even any evidence that the LSD amounted to much more than an ounce or two? Th- that's crazy. He didn't say that, of course, in his order, but ultimately you read between the lines. And uh, fortunately, there's somebody sitting on the federal bench who has uh, a modicum of common sense. Um, all of a sudden, you know, like weeks before the book comes out, uh, Leonard is a free man. And yeah, it's I, amazing, the timing. I could not ask for a better epitaph to uh, my 10 years of work on this book because uh, no one, no one deserves it uh, more than Leonard Picard. Uh, he's, he, his, his life is not that of a uh, Sir Galahad. He's made his mistakes. He's screwed up plenty and be, he'd be the first to tell you that. But um, the punishment did not match the crime. And the government is uh, in an absolutely indefensible position. Thank God that there was somebody on the bench who realized, realized that before it was too late. And uh, do you have social media? Where can people reach out to you if they have any questions or anything they'd like to follow up? Maybe they didn't get answered in this interview. Do you have, where can people reach you? Well, I have a website, DennisMcDougall.com, but uh, I'm, I'm also on Facebook. And um, my dog um, has uh, his very own um, uh, Instagram uh, page. Just uh, Travel with Bernie. Where are you, Bernie? Just a moment, I'll, I'll introduce you to Bernie. Okay. Come on, Bernard. Wow. Yes, here's Bernard. He's got his own Instagram uh, page. Nice. And What's his Instagram page? Um, it, it's Travels with Bernie is the name of that. Travels with Bernie. Sweet. Yeah, and I'm I'm trying to um, encourage him to write his own book. Um, sure. He hasn't taken to it just yet, but you know, well, maybe you have to find out whether he's a late night writer or an early morning writer like you. You know, what? Uh, we're we're still having trouble with uh, uh, learning the uh, the keyboard. That's a challenge. This is the keyboard. See, yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Well, um, so you can reach Dennis on Facebook or his website, dennismcdougall.com. Highly recommend this book. Again, the title of the book is Operation White Rabbit: LSD, the DEA, and the Fate of the Acid King. Thank you so much, Dennis, for your time. My pleasure. This has been fun. Good. Awesome. Well, have a good night. All right. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye.